0: With school beginning in Williamson County this week, Gary and I take on the Department of Education's loose interpretations and liberal rulemaking power to twist and convolute a new law that was intended to prevent your homeschoolers from reporting to the Department of Health. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast.
1: I'm, I'm trying really hard to figure out what the hell this is.
0: <laughs> oh
1: I, Man, I w- you, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've totally got me on this one. I have, I, have, I don't know where to go.
0: I will admit that I didn't know what this song was before about an hour ago. <laughs> but the song is called Carnavalito, which means little carnival. But the reason I chose it is because the band name is, wait for it, The Shenanigans. Hey, my favorite word. (laughs) And the reason, Gary, that I've started with The Shenanigans is, did you realize, remember when we first started this podcast, um, John used to say something about, hey, Joe Rogan, if you're listening to it. You know, right. Say something positive about us. And you know, and by the way, we, we'd
1: still love to have Joe on the show makes hey, sense.
0: Open invitation. Well, well, so that's what I'm gonna talk about. Joe Rogan apparently this week used the word shenanigans with regard to election integrity. Come on. Listen to this. So he was he was interviewing a um I forget the name of the guy, but about the Kerry Lake election. And Joe Rogan said that um he asked his guest. The guest's name was Patrick bet david don't know who he is he said how much election fraud do you think is real his guest said i think we could all agree it's not zero um and rogan says we know that these voting machines can be effed with and we know there's some irregularities that carry lake stuff in arizona that they're trying to dismiss it doesn't look like that's invalid i think there's real fraud there it looks like there's some real shenanigans
1: there (laughs) So you mean the the number 1 show apparently on Spotify now recognizes that we indeed have shenanigans in our election. In our election. Yeah, we'll go figure.
0: And I I can't believe there's actually a band. <laughs> In fact, there's lots of bands. If you look up, I couldn't find out which one was which, but there's lots of shenanigan bands. I Almost was
1: like, is this is this Nacho Libre? I don't I don't know. Or this is, well, that so so we we actually like love Joe Rogan a little bit more than we thought we did. Now, right?
0: Yes, uh, maybe maybe when he used that word, he thought it was his. Gary, just like you thought that fees for friends were. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I've I've been robbed so, just like I robbed. Yeah, Catherine.
0: so so maybe he's just getting his back. <laughs> that's
1: okay, that's okay. Well, that that's great to hear. I'm really glad that more more folks in the well, and I do. You, is is Joe Rogan the mainstream? I say mainstream because he's got quite a huge audience. You yeah. know, not not that he's uh, the bad part of the mainstream media, but certainly it's good to see someone like Joe Rogan uh, recognize that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Um, Spotify doesn't ban his show now. That's that's getting it might be getting a little too because close he for says comfort. shenanigans, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: they'll they'll be like, "Gosh, that sounds an awful lot like those guys in Tennessee." I always say shenanigans.
0: <laughs> we we can trademark the word. Nope, sorry, common word. So, Gary, before we started, you have some shenanigans to point out about how the uh, Department of Health in Tennessee we do is uh, treating a new law that was passed by. Tennessee legislature regarding homeschool and since this is the first week of school for Williamson County school students and what what better time than to talk than this to talk about school and homeschool
1: we do yeah I'll kind of set the scene as to what happened but before before I get into it something just reminded me I don't know why it came into my mind whenever you said Department of Health but you remember Michelle Fiscus oh yeah remember that name mm-hmm. you know we had put out an alert Uh, Someone had sent us, like via Instagram or something, a memo, a mature minor doctrine that was being spread around back during COVID, where Michelle Fiscus, who at the time, this was back in 2021, was working under the Tennessee Department of Health as the director of immunization. And her job was to promulgate the COVID vaccine across the state. And she had sent out a notice to what she called vaccinating partners, this was anyone in Tennessee licensed to give a vaccination, that they are allowed under Tennessee's mature minor doctrine to give shots to minors as young as 14 and immunization without parental consent. Mm -hmm. Of course, that went viral and set off alarm bells across the state. She was subsequently, after a hearing uh, in front of the Government Operations Committee, fired. But I, I bring her up because th- this that sort of ties into what we continue to see from mm-hmm. the Department of Health in the
0: state. But I wanted to ask you, Did do you know what she's doing now? Um, <clears throat> no, except I was going to say when you said fired, I was going to put it in air quotes or parentheses from that particular role. But she still has... Some it, she was hired for some influential role, nevertheless, right? Get this, she now works
1: for an organization. Don't know, I don't remember where they're based out of, called Immunization Managers. <sighs> Her job she manages a department that is fully funded by the CDC to increase COVID vaccination rates for children five years and under. Still, that's what she does for a living,
0: pounding away at the toxins, right? Yeah, Gary. Then let me say before you get into Tennessee homeschool uh, matters as they relate to health records, I was given the copy. See this little book? So we do Theater of the Mind. I'm holding up a book that's about the same size, li- slightly different dimensions than my book, right? Yeah, and it has well, the words are slightly smaller, right? Yeah. Okay. This book was written, well, I'll tell you what the title is first. Vaccination Proved Useless and Dangerous. Do you know when this book was written?
1: You're going to tell me. I bet, I bet like 20, 30 years ago.
0: Whoa, way off. Oh, okay. Sorry. How about 1889? (laughs) What? Yes. So the author of this book was actually a contemporary of Charles Darwin. Both in terms of when he lived and what he believed, <clears throat> he was an evolutionist. He was a known scientist. I say in air quotes because evolutionists, all scientists have their own pre-governing, um, their their governing presuppositions. But <clears throat> he got it right in this. So there's a, this book is really short. I haven't read the whole thing, but I was sent it. Uh, sent it by my sister actually, who found it in a tweet circulating. I tried to get the. The original copy had to get a reprint, but he was, he produced this in a UK study done back then and was related in particular to vaccinations as they relate to smallpox. But even then they knew that not only were vaccines useless, but they knew that they were compounding the problem and making it worse. And it has all of these charts showing that all of these sicknesses were dying off before the introduction of the vaccine anyway. Um, and then you complicate it just like we do with the COVID vaccine. <clears throat> Again, air quotes. COVID jab, COVID toxin, mRNA, gene therapy. But I found it fascinating that vaccination being dangerous didn't just come about n- not only in 2020 or even in the life of RFK, who's been against it at least in the last 25 years. But they knew this well in advance of modern times. It doesn't work, and it caused the the extent to which it works. Is outweighed by the dangers uh, caused by it. So, if you if you want to pick it up, you can get it through Amazon. The author's name is Alfred Russell with one L. Wallace, and it's it's a study he did in the UK called "Vaccination Proved Useless and Dangerous."
1: Man, that's a uh, that's the original gangster of anti-vaxxers. Yeah, right yeah, the OG, right? 1889. That's incredible. Well, and so all all of that. You know, all of that is somewhat of a pertinent setup because I want to dive into a a little homeschool debacle that we experienced here in Tennessee uh, over the last two weeks regarding a new law that was passed. But but what's turned out, out of all of, of the back and forth and discerning what the root of the problem really is, is that... It's the Tennessee Department of Health asserting itself, giving itself authority that it's actually not been given, and it's taken advantage of ambiguity in the law. And the the process I want to harp on is rulemaking. And there's a distinction there that I think a lot of people don't know about, and probably even even folks like us. I've got to be honest with you. I'll, I'll just be transparent. And we are one of the largest advocacy, Tennessee stands, conservative advocacy organizations in the state of Tennessee. And I look at a lot of policy and a lot of laws. But I will tell you, almost never do I go look at the rules. I, I focus on Tennessee code annotated. I focus on the law because it's the law's that we are working to change during legislative sessions and that we are working to have an impact on. But what we don't realize is that it's actually the rules that are being promulgated by
0: these administrative departments. Which, by the way, are part of the executive branch. Correct. They don't even have the authority constitutionally to make laws, but through these rulemaking procedures they do.
1: Well, and and, and to qualify that, granted... The the rules that they promulgate do follow a constitutional order in the sense that every one of those rules has to go before the government operations committee in the legislature and be approved by that legislative function before they go into effect. However, it's worth noting that I, I've actually I've watched in full about at least ten hours of these government operations hearings, and some of these packages they're presented with. I mean, the Department of Health could show up with a hundred pages of rulemaking, and they're they're given a presentation and they're given an overview of what's being before them. But no one's gone through the hundred pages exactly. of rules point to by insh- point. That's right. Yeah, they're trusting that. <clears throat> one of the members of the general counsel, the attorneys that are supposed to advise these bureaucrats are doing that work right and why should we trust them exactly and that's how all this stuff gets slid in mm-hmm. so it's an important distinction to make for folks to understand there are laws that we passed uh, that we passed but then there are rules that are made by the administrative departments, part of the, like you said, the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And it's these rules by which your government operates by that are s- supposed to enforce the laws that were passed. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting that, legally speaking, rules do carry the force of law. Mm-hmm. So those – so technically, as a citizen, as a business, whatever, you – following those rules is required. It is It is the law. Okay. All that said kevin they're they're stealing from us they're they are taking our liberty by rule making mm-hmm. and i and I think we would do well to um pay a lot closer attention to the rules because I think that's where we're losing a lot of the battle
0: yes, which by the way, before you get into this particular rule issue, it's why the federal government has gone the way they've gone. Right? They pass these gigantic omnibus, omnibus bills, right. which are bad enough in and of themselves because they're thousands of pages long, but they are still just structural, skeleton structure, and then all of the rules are implemented by the various agencies, and that's where you get these binders and binders and binders of infinitesimally small but important and and significant as as they go against our liberties— um, rules made by the agencies. So in Tennessee, what are we looking at as far as how it affects homeschool this year?
1: Yeah. So I want to use this as a, as a great example of how this works. So we had a new law passed this year, which we were all excited about. HB 252 was passed by a wonderful conservative representative, Jody Barrett out of Dixon, Tennessee, um, freshman class, but hands down one of the most, uh, conservative principled men we have in the general assembly. And someone that's willing to put up a little bit of a fight, right? So he ran this bill. It passed. It was signed into law. And basically what it what it did, what we all thought it did essentially, was remove a state requirement for homeschool families to report the immunization status of their homeschool students. Makes sense, right? Why would a homeschool student need to tell the state their immunization status? Mm-hmm. They're not going to a brick and mortar or a public school.
0: All right, they you would say they are <coughs> appropriately social distanced. That's right from the government schools. That's right,
1: and so because August first, this just happened within the last few weeks. Because August first was sort of a deadline set by some of our homeschool umbrella organizations by which to register. By homeschool families were sort of frantic about understanding the law because some of these umbrella organizations were saying, "No, wait a minute, we we still need your immunization records." And families were sort of rightfully upset because they were thinking, didn't we win? You know, didn't we pass a law? Well, come to find out, we did and we didn't. The, the law we passed only removes the requirement for – in. and a hint, again, this is something else I learned, which I did not know before. There are not students in homeschool students in the state of Tennessee. There are actually three different distinctions of homeschool students in the law. Which are there are independent homeschool students which homeschool their children and report their activities directly to the state as a family. Then there are umbrella organizations that operate under the distinction of church-related schools,
0: which would be <clears throat> most of the people I know operate. That, Everybody right? I know, yeah,
1: I do not know one independent homeschool family. Every, including myself, everyone runs under an mm-hmm. umbrella organization. And then the third distinction is a homeschool student that is still technically a public school student. They they have enrolled in some sort of distance learning program through the state, and uh, but they do their studies at home. So three different distinctions. And the, the, the issue is they all carry three different uh, sets of rules, legal requirements. Mm-hmm. So this law only struck the requirement for an independent homeschool family. Well, shockingly, what most people come to find out is – my my child is enrolled through a private, not a non-public okay that's another key point to make these umbrella organizations, these church related schools not only are they church related they are considered they are non public mm-hmm. they 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 exist outside of the auspices of the public education system. yet what we discovered and here's here's the trick is that the rules. Of the Department of Education require church-related schools, including the homeschool students registered as a uh, church-related school, to report their immunization status. And that rule actually cites 49-6-5001, which is the law that places the immunization requirements on public schools. So it's really confusing because mm-hmm. When you go to the rules of the Tennessee Department of Education for non-public church-related schools, that rule cites an immunization requirement from a part of the law that has to do with our public education system and, and its immunization requirements. And so that's how it's structured.
0: <clears throat> and how how is the, legis- the new legislation written? Did it make a distinction between those three independent umbrella and... Uh, distant learning.
1: So this is where it gets confusing. It did and it didn't. The issue is that it it only impacts a portion of the law that seems to impact independent homeschool students. However, this is how this is where we get into some ambiguity, right? So what I want to state up front, emphatically, is that there are two issues here. One, there is the issue of the Department of Education. Promulgating a rule requiring immunization status of homeschool students, but the the problem that makes that more convoluted is that they cite are are the reason they've given, and I've, I've spoken directly to the to the department on this. The reason they've given for making that rule is because it's under the auspices of requirements of the Department of Health, who have made a rule that have given themselves authority to promulgate immunization requirements over public, private, and church-related schools. What's important to note in both of these sets of rules is that you will find these explicit distinctions nowhere in the law. Nowhere in a bill, nowhere in the law, has the legislature expressly required church-related schools to follow vaccine requirements. And nowhere in the law has the legislature expressly given the Tennessee Department of Health this kind of broad power.
0: Before you go further, is that description then of the three kinds of homeschools somewhere else in the law?
1: It It is inferred by the way the laws are written. Huh those distinctions are not spelled out in the law but they are well
0: i'm but i mean not just this particular law but has there been like the when homeschool started and we we got more of the protections what was that early 90s maybe right in tennessee was it specified there this distinction between types of homeschool or were mm-hmm. they all under one pardon the pun one umbrella I,
1: I don't think they've ever been treated as as a singular umbrella i think there are there are just distinctions in the law that treat – like, for example, church-related homeschools actually are not expressly defined in the law itself. Church-related schools are. But the thing is you've, you now have church-related schools that in and of themselves have started umbrella programs. But while those umbrella programs that have been started by the church-related schools, they exist in the public, there are no – laws that go beyond regulating just the church-related school. Gotcha. They don't address the homeschool of the church-related school expressly. Okay. But the rules do, to some
0: degree. So you have a rulemaking body that is taking it upon itself to define or to interpret how this law should be executed, right? Right.
1: And so I've got, I've got a response, uh, and, and, and I, I want to say up front, too, by the way, you know, I've I've had some communication with uh, Nathan James and Angela Sanders in particular. Nathan James, I think he's like the director of, of uh, legislative priorities. He's really the guy that, that works to promulgate the rules for the Department of Education and Angela mm-hmm. Sanders is their general counsel. They've look, they've been incredibly over the top responsive. Mm-hmm. And kind and respectful okay. and willing to, to I mean, I've got this huge email on basically their interpretation of how they're having to do what they're having to do, right? All right. So I want to say that up front. However, the issue still remains that, and you and I were talking about this earlier. Let me just say this. You would think it's reasonable to assume that if the law is ambiguous on a particular topic— or whether or not the legislature has expressly given authority to the government. That if the law is ambiguous, then the government ought not to just assume that
0: authority. But... Wouldn't that make sense? <laughs> it depends upon the person who then has the power to act on that, right? I'm think, As you're talking about that, I'm thinking about a cookie jar and a, a child. Maybe the rule from the parents is not very clear whether you can or cannot go into the cookie jar. Well, the child is always going to say, well, I interpret that as I'm permitted to go into the cookie jar. And I think that, that you know these, these agencies, power mongers that they are, they exist for power, they exist to increase their power and their importance and to justify their importance, are always going to presume that this means that they can interpret it to their benefit, to increase their power and as they like, rather than regarding what the legislature really intended.
1: Right. But what's what's happened here is that these administrative bureaucrats are are using the ambiguity of the law against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all right. So here's the specific example. Um, and it, it sort of starts with the definition. So 49-6-5001, which is the part of our code that Makes immunization. Wait, let
0: me, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me, let me add something I just thought of. You just said that there, the, the agency is using the ambiguity against us, the citizens, right? Sure. This is interesting because in the practice of law and contracts, which I draft and negotiate all the time, there is a, um, an understanding if there's any ambiguity and you and I go to court. The judge, absent any language to the contrary, the judge is going to hold that ambiguity against me and read it in your favor. Well, what the legis- what the which which would be a reasonable response exactly. So, but what they're doing at this rulemaking level is the opposite, right? They should be construing it because them is the legislative bodies or the executive branch that's supposed to enforce the law. If anything, they should be retreating right not further impinging upon our liberties because that's how you would naturally construe an ambiguity um, and that's how the law would would construe an ambiguity so what you've pointed out gary is actually really interesting because they're doing the opposite of what the traditions of law would suggest they should do right and
1: and the issue is you're dealing with the government where they tend to win
0: (laughs) they construe the
1: ambiguities (laughs) against the citizen that's right so TCA forty nine six five thousand one, which Title forty nine uh, deals with uh, primarily our public schools uh, here in the state of Tennessee. States so they again this so this gives the authority to the Department of Health states that the Commissioner of Health is authorized to designate diseases against which children must be immunized prior to attendance at any school, nursery school, kindergarten, preschool, or child care facility of this state this language is not limited to public school it applies to any school now that qualifier was added by angela the attorney so that that's not in the law okay so the, so the law states any school nursery school kindergarten preschool or child care facility the way they are they now this is in the part of the code that deals with public schools mm-hmm. But because it doesn't say public school or doesn't distinguish private school, they're saying that the language is not simply limited to public schools. And here's the issue. Again, even the law that passed is considering that this language is speaking in generalities. So the HB 252 that passed simply stated that the word school – does not include a homeschool okay in other words to say you might place immunization requirements on schools right but, but you not shall home not schools. in homeschools mm-hmm. so even the new law that we passed didn't make that distinguish that that distinction mm-hmm. it's making the assumption that we're talking about a public school that you would enroll your child in versus keeping them at home and right. educating them privately.
0: And the part that the attorney added was what again?
1: That this language is not limited to public schools. It applies to any school.
0: That's quite a stretch.
1: Yeah. So so that's that, not
0: just a well, we're kind of leaning that way. That's that's an entirely that that cl- it's it's not just a clarification in other words. That's adding substance to the law that doesn't exist.
1: And, and again, that's not something that's expressly written in the law. It's important to note they're simply operating on how they're interpreting mm-hmm. that law to be written. Now, here's where it gets really hairy, is that it's the Department of Health's interpretation of that section of the code, TCA 49.6.5001. This is their rule. That they wrote, uh, which is rule number 1200-14-01-0.29. Oh,
0: my gosh. <laughs> okay. As if that's not confusing so, enough. Right.
1: right. So the thing is that that rule, which cites its authority from what I just read, mm-hmm. actually does say – it. they don't say schools in the rule. In the rule, they say public schools, private schools, and church-related schools. So – what I want. What do they
0: say about them, though?
1: That they have the right to promulgate immunization requirements over. So that in what they what the Department of Health did is, they read the law, saying schools, but they made it a point in their rulemaking to designate public schools, private schools, and church-related schools. So they themselves interpreted the law, and made sure to expand that authority into all of the schools.
0: But doesn't, what does the law say again? The law that was just passed? Well, isn't the point of the law to exclude or to protect homeschoolers from that requirement?
1: Yes. So, so the law that passed only added this paragraph. It added a clarifying statement and it says this as used in this section, school, nursery school, kindergarten, preschool, or childcare facility does not include a homeschool.
0: So then how does the Department of Health go back and say that it does include a homeschool?
1: Because what they're saying is there are homeschools, most of them, like we said earlier, that are operating under church-related schools. And they're saying regardless of the fact that the legislature passed a law saying that immunization requirements aren't aren't should not be promulgated over homeschools. Mm-hmm. Since most of these home schools operate as church related schools, and we've interpreted the law to mean that we have authority over church related schools. But
0: they don't there's not a legislative provision that gives them that the right. That so they've assumed the authority and then their they've based, own
1: in their own rulemaking. Yeah.
0: So so it's a rule upon a rule that's rather right. than a rule upon legislation.
1: And so and so that's where and so that's where we are today. And so there's this um let me find what I wanted to read here because I've got this really long Man, he, he drafted like a three page response representative Jody Barrett. And so just so you know, good, he is going to take
0: this to task. That's what I was going to ask. How do we fix it?
1: Well, there's two ways to fix it. <clears throat> One is, um, and I talked to Senator Bowling about this because she sits in the Gov Operations Committee. So, so there's a process by which you can dispute a rule and technically the government operations committee can, make a change or amend this rule without having to do anything legislatively. But if that's not going to happen, we may need to see legislation come forward in 2024 that will make the distinction and clarify and and ensure that in the law, there is no ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And so it remains to be seen which one of those directions we'll need to take. Mm. But, um, here is something that I wanted to read. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'll read this last. This last two okay. paragraphs. He said HB, and this is from Representative Barrett, who ran the bill. He said HB 252 had two parts. Part one removed the requirement in TCA 4963050 for homeschool students subject to the requirements of that section to report their immunization records to a local director of schools. That's the independent homeschool part that we talked about okay. earlier. So that removed the requirement for independent homeschools to report their immunization requirements. Part two, change the definition of school, as you have cited in TCA 5001, to expressly state that a homeschool, as defined, is not included in that definition of school, such that the Department of Health expressly does not have mm-hmm. the authority to promulgate rules over homeschool students. The only statute that defines what a homeschool is in Tennessee code and this is what's interesting. This is where I where I talked about there is no distinction between these three types of homeschool. Mm-hmm. So he he points this he correctly points this out. The only statute that defines what a homeschool is in Tennessee code is TCA 4963050. In fact, all of the references to homeschool throughout the code refer back to TCA 3050 The definition of homeschool is plain and inclusive of all students who are taught at home by their parent or guardian, regardless of where their grades and or attendance records may be mm-hmm. housed. All indications are that Governor Lee and his administration have been committed to supporting all forms of educational choice and, and the freedom of parents to choose what is in the best interest of their children and their families. I would like to think that that includes support for parents who choose to take personal responsibility for the educational needs and health care needs of their children. I'm committed to work with all involved to protect and promote the choices we have while expanding the freedom of choice for all Tennesseans. So two things that I want to make sure I say on this. Mm-hmm. One, I want to thank Representative Barrett for... Not just laying down the sword and doing look what a lot of politicians do. I, I, I passed a bill, I'm gonna pat myself on the back, I'm gonna take my victory lap, and you should be excited. you know, you should you should thank me. Um, he is willing to go the extra mile and now tackle the problems that are that are still inherent in not only the legislation, but the rules that have been promulgated out of it. And I thank him for that. But secondly, It's important to understand again what's happening in this process is that you had a you had an action of the legislature that the bill if you read the bill there's no way around it you have to assume that the legislative intent Mm -hmm. was to remove any immunization requirements from homeschool students and as such I also have to believe that. Knowing what I know about how often these legislators legislators actually read all of these bills before mm-hmm. they vote, I, I have a fair level of confidence that almost every legislature legislator that voted in the affirmative on this bill did so with the
0: intent, absolutely,
1: that they were moving immunization mm-hmm. were were removing immunization requirements from homeschool students, and despite all of that, we still have. A Department of Education who is submitting to a Department of Health rule that has expanded its own authority beyond the pale.
0: So, Gary, is the Department of Health, like the Department of Education, not an executive branch function?
1: It is. Where are you going, Kevin?
0: So, if you were the governor, (laughs) what would you... (laughs) What would you do to to tackle this? If you were governor, this ooh, should
1: be part of things I wouldn't do if I were governor. I mean, you, you, <laughs> or or to bring this
0: back, or things that you should do yeah. as governor. Because if I'm a governor in a state of Tennessee, which is at least superficially professed to be red, why would I? Al- does he know this? That's I, number one. I would
1: assume his his office does. We would
0: have to assume it, right? So silence would not be good because silence would be complicit with he approves of what the Department of Health and Department of Education are doing. I would think that he would want to get out in front of this and say, no, 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 no. Department of Health, Department of Education, you clearly misunderstood what the legislation was intended to do. I'm an advocate for homeschoolers and school choice, right? Let me ask
1: you, Kevin, if we were dealing with the Florida Department of Education uh-huh. and the Florida Department of Health, what do you think Ron DeSantis would do? Yes, he would case?
0: have already, A, tweeted about it, and he would have already implemented a plan legislatively to deal with it. Absolutely.
1: Or, or, being that this would be part of his administration, he may have
0: already dealt with it himself. Yeah, and and not even let it get this far. Yeah, the old... Uh, well, not my problem. I, maybe we should call the governor sometimes, like Pontius Pilate Lee, because he does a lot of like. Well, wash sorry, wasn't yeah. It. Wash my hands of it. I can't do anything about it. Yeah, this is your
1: problem. So well, that's. Uh, I just thought that was a a a timely example, uh, especially as school as is school starting. Yeah. Um, but again, just to hit the point home that um, there there are so many ways. To lose liberty.
0: <laughs> was, Let me count them all. Oh, <laughs> especially when they're included in. What was that number of that that rule you read? It took you like 30 minutes just, oh, to, just oh, yeah. to list
1: the... The of Health Rule number 1200-14-01-0.29.
0: I can't even remember that. <laughs> 1200-14.02-9? Yeah.
1: yeah, if you think there are pages and pages uh. of law... Wait till you get into the rules.
0: And it's intentional, right? Absolutely intended to confuse, to confuse citizens first, but also to confuse judges, to clog up the system, to make people just say, Ah, forget about it. You know, we'll just go with the status quo, which is which is the worst thing in this scenario. Thanks for pointing that out, Gary. You bet. Always looking. Anything else before we close up our Tennessee? We got any, we got any good guests coming up on the Next couple weeks.
1: Uh God you know, I did get um she's she's committed to coming on whenever I can whenever she's in town. Uh Senator Bowling. Actually Oh good. Well when we were talking last week, I said, you know, Senator Bowling, it's crazy you have never been on the podcast. That's crazy to consider. I mean, there's no one we've celebrated more in terms of defending freedom in the state than Senator Janice Bowling and uh So she was like, Oh my gosh, that's right. And so
0: she's She should definitely be on the pike. Where where is her home?
1: She is down in Tullahoma.
0: Okay.
1: But um but she's in Nashville a lot. And because uh again, what a lot of people don't know, the government operations committee still meets every month to go over these rules and approve rules, even when the General Assembly is not in session. Mm -hmm. So um so she's she's always having to come up for that. So anyway. But um we intend to get her on here very soon.
0: Well, look forward to that.
1: Oh, one, one more little thing, too. I did hear...
0: Call this a coda?
1: Yeah, coda. <laughs> the word on the street is that the governor is poised uh, next week. So probably by the time this airs, it may have already happened. He is poised uh, to proceed with calling the special His session. Official, of course. So, Which,
0: unfortunately, we've known all along. He's just delayed, delayed, delayed.
1: And, and you know, I thought it. it's worth pointing out. Someone sent this to me. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can pull this... Screenshot up on a text. Uh, yes, here it is. It's worth noting as you ponder the governor's authority, even to call this special session. So, this is Article 3, which is the section of our Tennessee state constitution that defines the powers of the executive branch. Article 3, Section 9, and I'm going to read this. This is the speaking of the governor. He may, on extraordinary occasions, that's, that's so important, mm-hmm. that phrase. He, yeah. may, he may, on extraordinary occasions, convene the General Assembly by proclamation in which he shall state specifically the purposes for which they are to convene, but they shall enter on no legislative business except for that which they are specifically called together. So a couple of folks have pointed this out to me, and there's some conversation being had about th- his authority to even call this special session. Yes, the Constitution does indeed give the the governor the authority to call the General Assembly in the session. However, the Constitution is explicit in saying on extraordinary mm-hmm. occasions. So, so now you have to talk about what, what is, is in an extraordinary, Define
0: extraordinary. occasion.
1: Yeah one would think that an extraordinary occasion is is something urgent it's an emergency it's something that has to be dealt with in a in a timely fashion it can't be put off um it is something that is creating a significant hurdle for the whole of the people that must be immediately dealt with again a sense of urgency and you would also think that it must be something very Distinct mm-hmm. and and narrow too, right? Not not some broad. That's a better term. That's what I meant by distinct. So, when you think about all that, is is that are those the phrases you would use to define the reasons for which the governor is calling this special session? Of course not. I mean, I, he <clears throat> does it seem urgent whenever. The governor, back in what was it May, stated that he was considering calling a special session mm-hmm. in August tw- at, in on right. August twenty first. So
0: already we've got three months of urgency time, right?
1: Yeah. Is, is if that, it's
0: urgent, why didn't it happen back in May?
1: So I would just put out there to the public concerning these red flag laws that the governor is pushing and what we're looking at in terms of our Second Amendment rights here in the state of Tennessee. You know. Is this even constitutional in the sense that the Constitution does qualify his powers to call the General Assembly into session based on it being an extraordinary occasion? And I think every Tennessean should be asking themselves the question is this an extraordinary occasion? Does the governor even have the authority to do what he's doing?
0: And let me add one more participle to that, Gary. If this is extraordinary, how would one define the absence of his calling a special session to deal with our loss of liberty during COVID, right? And...
1: Derelict of duty is how you would define it.
0: Exactly. And did he not call a special session then to give Ford a plant in Memphis?
1: And was that an was extraordinary? Was that extraordinary? Yeah. I don't think it was, Kevin.
0: The only thing extraordinary about that is that he did it. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What made it extraordinary
1: is that that was the most money we had ever given a private entity Uh, in the state of Tennessee. That's extraordinary.
0: And yet, and yet, I saw a statistic last week, I wish I had it at my fingertips, about how much money Ford has already lost in its EV program. Oh, and— I mean,
1: just like— And another another $9.2 billion loan from the U.S. Department of Energy to boot. Just outrageous! All that to say, as as citizens are in an uproar and pondering what's happening concerning our gun rights here, which already is a constitutional crisis. I, I want to add again that that compound that constitutional crisis with yet another one. Mm-hmm. I I'm unsure myself if the governor even has the constitutional authority to call the special sessions within the circumstances Mm -hmm. by which he's calling it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll leave that there.
0: Good point. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.